finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The word of God. Are you the one? That's the question of John the Baptist here towards Jesus. Are you the one? I don't think he's the first person to ask him. He's probably not the last. Right, in this world that we live in, this world full of religions, this world full of, of other people that have other worldviews, that have other ways of living their lives, how do we know that Jesus is the one? From the looks on all your faces, I think you've thought that before. <laughs> how do we know that, that this is real, that this is true, that we're not, we're not just going through the motions, that we didn't just show up to church on Sunday and, and then that's just it? That it's this like weird side other part of culture. And, and that's kind of what people tend to do, right? We take culture and we, we segment it out. And we say, this is my home life. This is my, my work life. And, and this is like who I am at church. It's just the side thing. It's just this other thing. Maybe I volunteer there. Maybe I help out. Maybe I think it's good for the community or even good for the world. But how do we know that Jesus is the one? But yet in John 14... Verse 6, Jesus gets, gets pretty controversial here. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he goes on, no one comes to the Father except through me. And, and it doesn't take a whole lot of like theology to, to realize that like Jesus doesn't lie about things. Right? <laughs> That we're supposed to believe what he says, that, that Jesus tells the truth. So when he says this, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, what do you think he means? <laughs> he's not being very vague, right? I mean, he's kind of telling you, he says no one, but probably means no one, uh, comes to the Father except through me. He goes on, actually, in, in Acts, this gets explained. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. That salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other name. But yet we live in this world that tells us, yeah, Christianity is just one way. It's one way. It's good for you. Maybe it's not my thing. It's good for you. You can have your, your, your Christian little bubble you can go to church. You can be a church person. You can even speak to super like churchy language if you want. Talk all these words that, that we don't talk about in our culture, you know, grace, redemption, forgiveness, you know, all, all of these things. You can have your own language. Uh, and, and we're just going to live over here. And then maybe I'll just follow someone else. Maybe, maybe I'll just follow another religion or just my own way. We'll get back to that in a second. But I have, I've, I don't know about you, it's been a little chopped up with me uh, being gone a few weeks, but I've been enjoying this sermon series on John the Baptist. Uh, looking at John the Baptist, looking into kind of this unsung hero in the New Testament. He's unsung for a good reason. 
is because his whole job was to step aside and point people to Jesus. So if we as a church don't celebrate John the Baptist as much as Jesus, that's probably a good thing. Uh, but it is important, I think, to look at him every once in a while because it's kind of the calling on a lot of our lives. Step aside and point people towards Jesus. Get out of the way and point people towards who really matters. So we've been going through the story of John the Baptist, and we've come to this part here uh, where John is in prison. Right at the end of the last week, last time I preached, John was put into prison. Uh, We'll get into details of that later, but he's sitting in prison, and he begins to wonder, did I really point people towards the right direction? I've been living my life this way. I've been, I've been journeying. I've been pointing people towards Jesus. And, and did I waste it? Did I, did I just do it uh, and I was wrong? And it's part of the reason I just love John the Baptist in, in the Gospels. Because, because he's me and he's you. Right? I mean, you're all sitting here, but like, what if I'm wrong? Just think about a pastor for a second. What, what if I'm just wrong? What if I just waste my whole life pointing people towards Jesus? Right, and that's where John the Baptist is, and he's sitting in prison, and it's not playing out how he thinks it's going to play out. The world is not looking like how he thinks it's going to look, and he starts to question, and he starts to wonder. So here we are. We're in uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 1. I don't think that's right. That is not right. Matthew 11? Sorry. Bookmark's in the wrong spot. Matthew 11, starting in verse 1, going through verse 6. There you go. Verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now we'll just pause there. This is how the Bible introduces a transition. So we have these really nice things in our modern Bibles called chapter and verse markers. And, and just as a little side, a little extra side sermon, okay, you, you get a bonus, mini sermon. Uh, we have these chapter and verse markers. They were added many, many years later after these texts were written. They're, they're added about 1400s, 1500s. So it's, it's a lot of years that the church did not have these. Uh, and as the old story goes, I don't think it's true, But as the old story goes, there was a monk who was in charge of putting these in. And and when he wanted a chapter break, he made a big mark on the page. And when he wanted a verse, he made a little mark. And as the story goes, he's riding along and he's in his carriage, because this is going to take a long time, right? So he's doing it in his downtime. He's riding around in his carriage, and as the story goes, every once in a while he makes a bigger mark than he means to. (laughs) And every once in a while he makes a mark when he doesn't mean to. And if you've ever read through a, a good chunk of scripture... You, you might agree. <laughs> There's sometimes you're like, why is that the chapter break? This is a pretty good one, starting at verse 1 here. Uh, again, probably not true, but it's an old church story. Uh, but what, why these are here is they help us better organize what's going on, right? So, so we as the church and, and people that study scripture, people that are scholars, can be really specific and say, hey, we're starting in, in verse, our chapter uh, 11, verse 1, and then you all know, you know where to turn to if you want to. So so they're helpful, but that's not how it was originally written, is all I'm trying to say. There's actually clues in the text that tell us when different dividing marks are. So here we find one. 
in verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. So whatever was going on in 10 is now gone. We're moving on to something new. He's going to teach something new here. And then it goes on. When John, who was in prison, this is John the Baptist, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, so Matthew tells us who he is. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Uh, it doesn't just say Jesus. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, this is John, John's disciples, to him, meaning Jesus, asking, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So remember, right at the end of that last sermon, John is in prison. He's been arrested for questioning publicly, very publicly, uh, questioning and criticizing the marriage of Herod Antipas to his brother's wife. This is different than the Herod that is, uh, you know, when Jesus was born and there's King Herod back then, this is his son. Uh, and he had three sons, and they're all ruling different regions. So one of the sons, also named Herod, is now marrying the wife of one of the other ruling sons. And, and not only is that just bad, I mean, <laughs> not only is that just something that you would think a prophet like John the Baptist might speak out against, um, it's also going to cause a war for sure. And to make matters worse, she's not just like the, the, the wife of one of the brothers that's marrying the other one. She's actually the daughter of another ruling person who's even more powerful. So, so you're talking three areas, like there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. There's going to be a lot of war that really probably didn't even need to happen. And, and John the Baptist, as, as a prophet, in, in the same way that the prophets in the Old Testament, he's going to speak out against this. And he's going to speak out even though it's into a place of power. It's into a place of, of great wealth, into these, these ruling leaders that, that are living in this uh, very Roman world kind of way, but they're ruling over these Jewish people, and, and he's going to speak about this immorality. And where does it lead him? It leads him to probably the exact place he knew it would lead him, which is prison. So Herod has, has imprisoned John, and John uh, is just sitting, sitting there in prison. He's just, he's just there. He's just wasting away. Because he spoke out against what was going on in his own time. And he begins to question. He begins to get a little bit confused. He begins to, to question his own calling. If, if this is Jesus, if Jesus is the Messiah and he's supposed to come back and he's supposed to bring this rule upon the people and he's supposed to kick out these evil leaders and he's supposed to be our new king and he's supposed to bring in a, a new kingdom... Now, why did he just do that already? And why does he free me from prison while he's at it? It's a fair question. What does Jesus do? Jesus is sending his disciples around so that they can teach. He's, he's talking about the kingdom uh, of heaven that's drawing near, that is here, that, that is in our time. But, but where's the army? Where, where's, where's the conquering? And why am I sitting in prison? And why is it day after day after day? You see, there's this confusion, and it's all through the Gospels. It's not just here in John. There's this confusion of what we know now as the first coming, 
of Jesus and the second coming. Back when I used to teach teenagers, we'd talk sometime about the second coming. I mean, I still help with teenagers here, but you know what I mean. Uh, and, and that was always the most confusing thing. I'd have teenagers all the time raise their hand. Do you mean Jesus is coming back? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what the Bible did. Well, I mean, I believe that because that's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> uh, that he's coming back. And we actually live in this weird in-between time. But if, if, imagine yourself on the other side of that. You're looking at prophecies that are about both of these times. So you expect the Messiah to come and he's going to act and he's going to behave a certain way. But, but you're kind of combining these two. So that's basically what John's doing. He's, he's not uh, bad at reading his Old Testament. He's not bad at reading the Hebrew Scriptures. He, he's reading it, and he doesn't know the details of what God is doing. He's, he's not the last person to not know the details of what God is doing in and around their lives. Right? He's not the last person to, to look at the details and start to question who Jesus is. This, this is going to continue. <laughs> this, this started before John, as soon as Jesus is on the scene, and it's, it's alive and well. Not, not just in people who are, you know, quote-unquote, I don't know, bad or something. It's just, it's just normal life. John the Baptist is a prophet. And even him, he, he, he's just not sure right now because of the circumstances of his life, because of what he's living through, because of, of how hard it is, because of the, the danger that he's in. Is this Jesus really who I think he is? How could this be? If Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah is, is coming, and he's going to throw away these Romans, and he's going to regain control, and he's going to start this new holy Jewish nation, free from Rome, then why am I still here? Why hasn't the Messiah saved me yet? In the obvious third question, or third statement, maybe Jesus isn't the one that the Old Testament spoke about. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I pointed people in the wrong direction. So here we find John, and he sits, and he sits, and he waits, and he waits, and eventually, we don't know how detail-wise, but he's able to draw some of his own disciples to him. Remember, John had a large following. Uh, and then he pointed them to Jesus, and a bunch of them left him. But some of them stayed with John. <laughs> so John pulls some of his closest disciples to himself. He's able to communicate with them somehow, even though he's in prison. And, and he sends them to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So what is he asking here? Who, who is this one who is to come? And, and John the Baptist, like any good prophet, he's actually he's quoting the Old Testament. Jesus knew what he was talking about. So he's quoting the Old Testament. Who is the one who is to come? Well, this is in a couple places. Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they looked to that, and they said there's going to be one who is going to come. In the name of the Lord. So, so it became this popular phrase, the one who is to come. Zechariah 9.9. You've probably heard it before. See, your king comes to you riding, or righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, here's this one who is to come. And he's coming and he's righteous and, and he's having salvation and he's gentle. And of course, he's riding on a donkey, which we see later on in Matthew 21. So John is asking Jesus, are you the one who's talked about in the Psalms and by our prophets? Or should we expect someone else? We miss it a little bit, but there was a lot of false messiahs back then. We, we know it for sure. There's people who claimed to be this ruler, and, and what was often common was, was you claimed to be the messiah, you tried to trace it back, Try to trace back your own heritage, and then you tried to raise an army, and you were going to do a rebellion. So they've had a number of false messiahs come and go. None of them being successful. And they don't know that they're false until they die. <laughs> John's not crazy. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to say. John, John, is, John is looking, and he's like, are you really the one? There's been other ones who have said they're the one, and, 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 and if somebody were to go to them and say, are you the Messiah? They would say, absolutely I am. But let's look here, verse 4. How does Jesus respond? Are you this one who is in the Psalms, who is in the prophets? Are you that one? Verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you have seen. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those that have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So how does Jesus reply? Does he just yell out, of course I'm the Messiah, what do you, go back to him, tell him I am. He already pointed people in my direction. No, he says, look around you, John. Look at look what's being done. Look at the world around it. Here's the evidence. You want to see the evidence? Well, the blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. Those with leprosy, and, and leprosy is just a generic term for kind of all skin diseases at this time. So those with these with these debilitating skin diseases are being he healed. The deaf are hearing. And the dead are raised. And the last one, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John, you question who I am. Well, look backwards. Look at recent history. Look at what I've been doing. Look at what's going on around me. That's your answer. And I looked up each one of these this week because, I don't know, I'm a Bible nerd. <laughs> and I was curious, I, I was thinking, okay, is there Old Testament prophecies about each one of these things, about the Messiah? It, is there a prophecy that says he'll give sight to the blind, or that he'll make the deaf hear? You know, is he pointing to the Old Testament saying, saying this is who I am, just look at, you know, this other text? Um, and the answer is yes. <laughs> and the answer is, look at the book of Isaiah. Because almost all of these are from there. I'm just going to go through the list. The blind receiving sight. This is Isaiah 35, verse 5. 
talking about the one who is to come, talking about the Messiah, it says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened. So as soon as John heard that, he would go, oh, that's Isaiah. Right? John, John knows his Old Testament. He knows his Hebrew Bible. Uh, he's already quoting, quoting it when he's talking to Jesus in the first place. So they're, they're speaking on the same wavelength. And he's going, oh, Isaiah 35. And the lame walk, the next one, Isaiah 35, the next verse, verse 6. Then the lame will leap like a deer. Those who have leprosy will be cleansed. This one's a little harder, but I did find it. And I don't think it's a stretch. But it's in 2 Kings chapter 5. The deaf hear. Again, Isaiah 35 verse 5, the other half of that same verse. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The dead are raised a little earlier in Isaiah. Isaiah 26, 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise up. Let those who dwell in the dust walk up and shout for joy. And the good news being proclaimed to the poor. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Probably sounds familiar. Maybe. Jesus quotes it. <laughs> At another part, they ask who Jesus is, and he says this. He quotes Isaiah, 60, or Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. Anointed one is, means Messiah, or Christ. So, so he's clearly claiming that in this verse. Uh, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So John, you question who I am. Well, look backwards. Look at what's been going on. Look at what I've been doing. Look at what I've been doing in, in your own life. We get to these moments that they're hard, and we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to go forward, and we start to question who God is. We might even start to question if, if we're on the right track. If, if God is who he says he is, if Jesus is who, the, who he says he is, why am I going through this right now? Why does life feel this way? Why is it hard? And I think, in a way, God says the same thing to us. Jesus gives us the same message. He says, look, look at what I've already done in your life. Just step back for a second. Look at the blessings you've received. Look at the ways I've walked with you. Think of those times that, that were hard, and then, and then you, you went through them. You made it. You're going to question who, who he is now because it's hard, but, but what about then? You want evidence. I mean, Jesus could just say, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Send it back to John. But, but I like this. He, he says, look back at what I've done in your life. And, and I think we all probably have answers. I think we all do. I, I pray that we all do. We can look back at our own lives and say, surely God is real. Surely Jesus is who he says he is. Because that, that one time <laughs> when stuff looked really bad, <laughs> when it was really terrible, and, and then God saw me through it, there's no other way. Nothing else makes sense. I don't know about you, but I, I read this passage and, and I just feel, I mean, 
I like John the Baptist. <laughs> and it's not like, oh, I like that he doubts who Jesus is. <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of funny. But I do kind of like that he does because it, because it's me. Because it's you. Because it's all of us. Because it's just how we, how we interact in the world. We look around and we say, man, what if I'm wrong? What if this isn't how it's supposed to be? Jesus, I was following you. And now this terrible thing has come up. And life is hard. And, and are you really the one who will save? Are you the one who will heal? Are you really the one who will rescue me or rescue us or rescue my friend? Are you really the one who's going to stand by me? It, it's not like it's bad. It's not like we're putting Jesus on trial, but we're just, it's, it's like a good friend where you go to your friend and, and it's just like, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not feeling your love right now. There's, this, there's something missing. I'm not feeling it. You know, I, I, like, I like to feel the compassion. I like to feel that, that you're with me. And, and because of life circumstances, like this wall has come up. And, and I don't feel you right now. I'm getting some nods. So I have a feeling that, that you're tracking with me, right? This is just part of walking with Christ. This is not, this is not abnormal stuff. Don't think poorly about yourself when this comes up. But what does Jesus say? He says, look, look at the evidence here. Look at what I've already done. It's perfectly natural in these moments or, or even these seasons of doubt uh, to have these painful circumstances and, and to wonder. I don't know if anyone's told you that, but that, that's just a normal part of following Jesus. You're not bad at it. <laughs> I think sometimes we wonder if we're bad at it, <laughs> right? Like, well, you know, that, that person that, you know, it's the all-star at church, whoever it is, we won't name names, uh, <laughs> they certainly don't doubt the way I do. That pastor up there, he hasn't doubted a day in his life. Well, thank you for the laughter. <laughs> he hasn't doubted a day in his life. But me, you know, lowly old me, I just, I just wonder who Jesus is. And, and what's so beautiful is Jesus says, look at what I've done. It's hard to see. It's hard to see unless you step back. It's really hard to see in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt, to see what he's done. It actually reminds me of this, this mission trip that uh, I went on with teenagers. This was back when I was pastoring in Illinois. Um, and it was kind of funny because in Illinois, you know, everyone's small town. Everyone's a little intimidated by the big city, right? I don't know if you're all aware of that. <laughs> everyone's kind of intimidated by the big city. Oh, there's, uh, there's a lot of poverty or there's a lot of crime or we get the news. You know, we hear the news reports sometimes only coming out of the city and, and it's scary. So small town Illinois, that was Chicago, right? You hear everything about Chicago. So so this church, I was like, well, I'll take, we're going to do this teenage mission trip. We're going to go to the inner city. Uh, but I was like, I don't know if they'll let us go to Chicago. I think there might be enough parents that might be like, eh, is that safe? So we went to inner city Detroit instead. <laughs> and if you know anything about inner city Detroit, and it sounds like you do because you're laughing, uh, <laughs> it's, it was, it was, it's rough, right? Uh, and they let us go <laughs> because it wasn't Chicago. 
Uh, so we went to inner city Detroit, and there's another covenant church, and I was at a, a covenant church in Illinois. Uh, there was a sister church that was out there. The church I was at was 98% roughly white, uh, so same with the community, uh, and the sister church was 98% black. Inner city, uh, downtown, is called City Covenant Church. Uh, they have a wonderful uh, pastor there, Pastor um, Samil, and we went there, I took a, a bus full of teenagers, and we, we helped and we served, and it's in this, this really hard up neighborhood. It was this neighborhood that was built uh, for a Henry Ford plant. Like, there was, there was all these Ford neighborhoods. So they had a plant, they built this whole neighborhood. Uh, Henry Ford's brother, uh, from what I understand, did um, cement work. So all these houses are all cinder block because they got a good deal. <laughs> so they're all these cinder block houses, and they're just little squares. And, and Detroit, as, as many of us know, you know, economically has really been hurt. This plant has been closed for a long time. And it means this whole neighborhood really has very limited options for work. Um, the vast majority don't have cars or, or ability to kind of even get out of the neighborhood to get uh, to further places of work. And, and it's one of those neighborhoods, if you've seen pictures more recently, that a number of the houses have been torn down. I don't know if you've ever looked at pictures of inner city Detroit. Uh, it looks like you're out in the country. Um, the houses have been leveled. There's about one house per block, and the rest are just really overgrown lots with tall grass and, and kind of random trees that have started to grow. And it's a very depressing place to be. And it's an even more depressing place to feel like you're trapped. And so we brought this group of teenagers, or I, I brought with you know, other adult leaders, uh, this group of teenagers, and the biggest thing that we said in the beginning was uh, to open your eyes, to pay attention to what God is doing, and we were going to have a journal for each of them. So we handed out journals, and each day they were responsible for journaling two pages of what happened that day. It didn't necessarily have to be like what they thought God did. It, was, it could be like, I helped clean up this park, and then I talked to this guy from the church. Um, and, and they journaled two pages each night. And each night we'd kind of recap the day, and, and it, was, it was good, good short-term mission trip stuff. You know, we cleaned stuff, we worked stuff, we painted, uh, we cleaned up this park that the church had, uh, made it really nice, and, and by the time we were done, kids were already showing up to play on the playground. It was really fun. Um, but truthfully, a lot of the teenagers didn't necessarily see what God was doing. And, and it's kind of hard in the middle of it. But that last day we sat down and then each one of them, we told them they were going to do this before, but each one of them read their journals out to the group. And as soon as they were reading through this list of stuff that seemed like normal stuff, all of a sudden God started making these connections. I've been active. I've been working. I've been working through you. I've been, I've been working through these people to touch you. And by the end, almost every one of them was crying by the time they got to the end of their own journal. And, and it wasn't uh, sad as much as it was just so meaningful. There was so much going on. But it took this moment of stepping back, this moment of, a moment of honestly saying, Jesus, are you really who you say you are? We've been working here, we've been helping here, you know, but are, have you really been active? And then stepping back and reflecting before they, they were able to say, all the evidence is there. 
It was, it was like this exact verse. It was like Jesus said, you, you question that I've been doing stuff while you're here? Well, here's the list of what's been going on you know, around you. And it didn't look like the blind were healed, but it, it did look like meaningful relationships were built across many lines that, that would normally divide us. It, it looked like a group of young people that were willing to step into what would be an uncomfortable situation for the vast majority of adults. To, to come in humbly, to come in as servants and, and to walk alongside people, to hear people's stories. I'll just share one, one more part because it's just so impactful. While we were there, there was two funerals. Very unexpected. And there was two funerals at the church, both, both tragic. One was for a, a homeless woman who attended the church. And she passed away, and she had, like many homeless people, had many uh, difficulties in her life and, and had burned a lot of bridges, quite frankly, to the point where this funeral had no family at it. And this funeral had about six people from the church that came. And none of them could carry the casket because they weren't strong enough. So they came over to us, I asked which teenagers would be okay with it, but we had eight of our teenagers carry that casket at that funeral, and we attended. We were three-quarters of the funeral. And then there was a second funeral for, for somebody who uh, had kind of honorarily been given the title of pastor at the church. He wasn't the official pastor, but, but he was just so involved. He so loved people. He, he loved his community so much that that he was one of their pastors. They looked to him as a leader. And he had suddenly passed away. And, and the funeral uh, was full. But, but some of the women who were there were the same ones who were at the first funeral. And they said, you know, it would be so beautiful as if you'd carry this casket too. So the same teenagers did. I guarantee you it made it in the journal. It would make it in my journal. <laughs> I mean, it's an honor, right? But it's a heavy, heavy honor. And, and there is a, there's a sense in the Christian life that we have this honor to walk with Jesus. We have this honor to be with him, this honor, uh, but it's not light. We get to tell other people about who Jesus is. But, but as soon as you do, that, that's when the evil one starts working in your life. <laughs> The more faithful you are, it seems like often you kind of run into trouble. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just me. But, but you, you often run into this trouble, and, and yet it's this, this joy to walk in this journey with Christ, to point other people towards him. We get to be the church right now. Like universal, capital C, church, not just chapel. We're just a little piece. We get to be the church. There is no other church. Read, read through the Bible. There's no plan B here. If, if people are going to know who Jesus is, if people are going to know uh, that he can save us, this is, this is the way. I mean, the Holy Spirit can work. We're not doubting the Holy Spirit. But the church has a role. And, and yet it seems like we often just sit and we just question ourselves. 
we question if it's true. And that, again, that's not a terrible place to be, but, but there is a sense of look at what God has done, look at what God has called us to, and let's get to work. Does that make sense? <laughs> All right, let's pray.